Canadian Wants to Know. Ein Podcast für Englischlernende in Deutschland, der kraftvolle Geschichten und anregende Fragen nutzt, damit ihr auf unterhaltsame Weise eure Sprachkenntnisse verbessern, vertiefen und festigen könnt. Hier ist euer Host, the Canadian George Robledo. Welcome to my podcast, Jared. Thank you for agreeing to sit down with me. Thank you very much, Maria. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? What do you do? Where are you? <laughs> uh, I'm in Southern California. I live in Long Beach, which is uh, south of Los Angeles by about maybe 25 miles. I work at a community college. So that is for the first two years of college uh, for a, a college student. It offers a, a lower cost option for college students, and then they typically transfer to university afterward. I teach public speaking and argumentation and debate at a college called Santiago Canyon College in the city of Orange. Have you always been interested in the topic of communication and debating? No, actually, I started off as a architecture major. I, I, I drew fairly well and uh, I got into drafting and designing. And while I was doing my requirements for that, I took a public speaking course and the instructor was the debate coach and he recruited me onto the team and from there it slowly took over. And how long have you been doing that for? Well, I guess he recruited me in 98 and then I graduated, you know, I had to change majors. So it took me a little bit longer and I graduated in like 03, I believe. And uh, then I got my master's. And so I've been teaching for like 16, 17 years and, but, and I did a competitive debate for four years. Can you tell us about your own personal experiences with debating? Because later on, we'll talk about the coaching. Yeah. But you as a participant of debate. Well, as a participant, it was, it was really interesting. I had early success and then it became really challenging as I started competing against higher and higher level debaters. Um, but I always, I always loved the process. I felt that it helped me to broaden my perspective of the world. And anytime there is a issue that somebody discusses, I feel like I'm, I'm open-minded enough to hear arguments from all sides before really reaching a conclusion. And oftentimes, I think now as a result of doing that, I, I don't reach conclusions uh, quite often. And I think that's a, I, it's something that I like, but it, It frustrates other people sometimes. <laughs> so would you say you kind of take the centrist position? No, see, I, I think that the centrist position is still a position. Oftentimes, I feel like I don't take a position on a lot on, on the initial argument. Like I do have strong beliefs about right and wrong, good and bad. But usually people, the issue that people have is with specific policies or specific advocacies that they're having. And so on those specifics, I think it takes time to hash out the details and it requires you to listen. So oh, I don't know, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm reading in too much. So the position that you take is here, I can see this side of the argument, I can see the other side of the argument, and then you stop? No, like it, I, I don't always 
it's not like a stop. What I'm saying, it's like this ongoing process. I'm like, I see this side and then I see that side. And now I'm going to go back to this side. I'm going to find more information and I'm going to find more information on that side. And oftentimes at the end, I'm kind of like, okay, this is unresolved. I'm not done. (laughs) Yeah. And then it just continues. It's an open question. Yeah. So I I would say that not not necessarily centrist, but open-ended. Yes. I like that. That's the approach that I like to take. And I think it's based on my experiences of life. I've been able to travel and live in multiple countries. And just engaging with all these different types of people forces you to to say, oh, oh, I can see that. I can understand that. Yeah. For example, in my early 20s, mid 20s, I lived in Texas. I'm Canadian. Okay. We have a lot of stereotypes about what Americans are like. And particularly Texas. There's this stereotype. (laughs) They're all cowboys, very conservative, Republican, gun owning. And then I went there and part of those stereotypes are true. They do have guns. But I was surprised by the kindness and generosity that I experienced there. Oh, of course. Yes. So it forced me to look at these people that at first I observed as, oh, racist, terrible humans to actually seeing them for the humans that they are flawed, but beautiful and generous. And that's what frustrates people when I don't, when I still stay sort of on the fence about things is that they have these strong convictions and conclusions. And when you don't automatic, like when you listen to the information that persuaded them, but you don't reach the same level of persuasion, that's frustrating. They, they, they think there's something wrong with you. I know the feeling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know the feeling, but I don't know. I, I, I had these experiences of life. So you may want to tell me that I have to come to these conclusions, but I say, oh no, but I actually interacted with people who think this way and I yeah. like them. And yeah. I can also see it from their point of view. If I had that experience of life, I would come to these conclusions about these issues, these policies. I see yeah, it. I've- yeah, I think the, one of the more interesting phenomenons, experiences that I get is knowing that I disagree with somebody, but at the same time, understanding why they feel the way they do. And yeah. so, it, it, and it's uncomfortable to tell them, it's kind of like, oh, I understand why you're doing it, but I still do not agree with you. And I think that's fair. I think yeah. it's fair to say that I see it. I understand it. I take this approach or I, I've come to these conclusions. Mm-hmm. so far. Yeah. And it so, is possible that my mind will change over time. One of the articles that I have my students read is from several years ago. I, I forget when it was published, but the author's name is Sean Blanda. And the article is called The Other Side is Not Dumb. That's interesting. I'll, I'll have to leave yeah. that in the show notes later. Yeah, I'll it look should be easy to find because it's maintained some a level of popularity. Plus, it's like required reading for like the first assignment in my course. And I, I know that it's still out there and easy to find. Oh, what was it? I think I saw um, a stand-up comedy a mm. bit yesterday. And he was talking about how people in, in New York or Easterners will look at the Midwest as all oh, those stupid hillbillies. They're idiots. But they produce a lot of the food of yeah. America. Yeah. And people in the East wouldn't be able to survive a week <laughs> if it wasn't for all, all the food that these people are producing. So yeah. the people that you hate are the people that you need. <laughs> That's absolutely true. And, and, and vice versa, that a lot of the 
or international trade and commerce that comes through big cities improves the lives of people in, in rural areas. Absolutely. That, yeah, yeah. So we need each other. Yeah. Yeah, and maybe everybody. that's just my Canadian way of thinking. Can't we all just get along? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, and I love it too. I, 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 I do feel sort of out of place in America oftentimes. <laughs> yeah, maybe I would feel more at home in Canada. Hey, move to Canada, but I, I wouldn't. It, that would be a hard decision. If I lived in California, it would oh, be yeah. hard to. Oh, we're dealing with minus twenty three. It's it's cold. Yeah, <laughs> it's cold. It's funny that you say it right now. If cold for us is like mid fifties. Um, yeah, so mid fifties. If I translate to Celsius, that's probably about ten degrees for us. Yeah, so yeah, yeah, well, I'm I'm minus thirty from that. No. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but yeah, maybe you would feel better here in Canada. But also something that I I've thought about is I don't think that America is as divided as the media portrays. Okay, I see what you're saying too because i think a lot of the divisions might be presented by what what you call the gatekeepers you know some people say the media but uh, it's a, a lot of you know the people who put out the narratives about uh, america i think that yeah the it, it, what's represented is is um division i do think that that representation actually fuels more division though you're right. Yeah. So because they portray it this way, then people start to behave as if that's the case. Yes. So it's you're right. It's not as divisive as it's portrayed, but at the same time, it is getting more divisive yeah. than we've seen in recent history. No, and how is it? Because I think the approach that you've taken is a really positive one and it's a helpful one in order to understand people's different lived experiences and to actually have meaningful conversations. What is your process like when you're doing your investigations and your research to understand a topic? Well, it's funny that you say that right now because it's undergoing a dramatic shift with artificial intelligence coming out. Um, uh, things like ChatGPT and Udly um, have made that process very different. So right now, it's, uh, the, the short answer is that it is in flux. But Normally, what happens is you you're you're given so in a debate. A lot of people think that debates just happen naturally or, or spontaneously, and while those might be arguments that you might enter into, a debate typically is more formal, and, and you know what side you're on, and you know what the topic is. So the first thing is you got to know what the topic is. You got to know when you're speaking. Are you speaking first or second? Because that, that also matters. If you're the first speaker, you have to define terms. But the second speaker may or may not have to do that. So it, it, you got to think about some logistics first, about like how much time do you have? When are you speaking? Uh, what side are you on? Those are the, the first really, really basic questions that you have. Yeah, no, there's a lot that goes into it. And yeah. I think you're right. I've been researching a lot on these new AI tools, and it's changed the way that I research it saves uh -huh. me so much time <laughs> oh yeah it's yeah. incredible it, you gotta be careful though because chat gpt as of right now it lies a lot <laughs> i just... use one called jasper i don't know if you've heard of jasper oh. ai i thought so... jasper was about like seo and marketing and so i i, I just was told about it and so I, I have yet to really understand it better 
What I like about Jasper is I can also get my sources. I will oh. ask a question. It will give me the answer and it will provide me with three sources mm. from the New York Times. You generally from reliable sources. And oh, then okay. I can actually go to those websites and read to see and confirm. Okay. So I really like that. I don't know if ChatGPT can do that as well. It, it tries to, and it's not always accurate. Um, it definitely cannot do that with current event sources. So anything after 2021 is very, very sketchy. Yeah. And I think, that, wow, I will, I'll have to show you afterwards how it works. Mm-hmm. But I can connect a Jasper to Google so oh. that it takes data directly from what's on Google at this moment. Very nice. And then I get my sources. That's, but of course, even after that, you, that's only the first stage. And then you continue to do your research. But it saves me so much time with that initial research. Mm-hmm. Okay, now I have a direction. Right, right. Mm-hmm. So uh, like, I, I actually recommend that when you're starting, when you first get your topic is start with the most accessible information. So some instructors tell their students to avoid Wikipedia. And I'm the opposite. I'm like, the first thing you want to do is learn what everyone else is going to read and understand about your topic. So you're aware of it. Um, but that's just barely the first step. And, and now, you know, ChatGPT and perhaps Jasper might even take that place. It, I would start with that. I would start with the most accessible, the, the first thing that people read, because you want to get past that you want to get you want to elevate your arguments above and beyond what the average argument is but first you have to know what that is absolutely Mm -hmm. and then how do you organize your arguments themselves when you're uh, speaking and i imagine like you said it depends on whether i'm the first or the second person to speak Yes. So if the first or second is, is an important thing to know, because that determines how much detail you put into defining terms. Um, so definitions are really important for the very first person that speaks in a debate. But let's get past that. It, past that, if you're going to organize your arguments, you need to know kind of what type of topic you're talking about. Are you talking about an issue of values? Are you talking about, you know, questions of fact? Are you talking about questions of policy? Because each one of those really does influence how you can most effectively organize your arguments. Very interesting. Very interesting. So what would be the differences? So let's say it's a a debate about certain values, moral values. So for, for values, sometimes that would be phrased as a this versus that type of org framework so it'd be like vampires are better than werewolves see that would be like it'd be an issue of like so what do we value do we value immortality like you know it's like do we value Mm -hmm. life and long life because vampires i don't know in mythology typically Mm -hmm. are immortal whereas werewolves aren't see that okay Um, yeah and so you you'd, you'd pick a central criterion and you would evaluate which side reaches that uh, more likely I, does, is that more difficult to do to to debate values over policy or do they come with their own challenges no i think that uh, there, a lot of people would say that it is more difficult because it is the ambiguity mm-hmm. that you run into on those topics whereas in policy there's a lot more you'd have a you'd have an action 
that that you are advocating. So, like the the death penalty should be abolished in the United States would be a question of policy. And so then you would be while there are value issues in that topic, but like how do you abolish it at what level, who's in charge of it, what are the costs? There's a lot of logistics there. Yeah. Yeah, and those logistics have been studied and and documented and it's way more predictable. So in competitive debate, a lot of people gravitate towards questions of policy whenever they can. Yeah, the value ones I can imagine because also our values change and they're also different from yeah. from one group to the other. So that's really tricky. Yeah. When we yeah. go in that direction. My next question is connected to counter arguments. Okay. How do I prepare to respond? One way is to understand how refutation works best. And we have something called four-point refutation in competitive debate, uh, where you first summarize what your opponent said, and then you state your counterclaim, and then you support it with any type of evidence that you have maybe collected. And then you explain why that's important to the debates. Because sometimes you you might be right. You might have good, you know, a, an argument that you're refuting, but it, it doesn't matter. You're still losing the debate, right? It's like you could win the argument, but lose the debate. So first understand the organization, but then you kind of walk, you, you, you do your own games in your head about how your opponent might come uh, at this topic. I typically say, if I was on the other side, what arguments would I make? And then I can anticipate with it. And then I prepare responses for all of them. I usually, like when, when we're just doing handwritten notes, when we're like face-to-face, I put it on sticky notes. And I'll have like three or four different sticky notes with responses. But I'll only use one of them because my opponent doesn't make all four arguments. They just make one of the four that I prepared. What if he makes an argument that is completely different to anything I prepared for? That, that, that's an issue. <laughs> so yeah, then I'm in trouble. <laughs> yeah. You, it, you might be, you first have to determine whether or not that. So a lot of people get wrapped up and they think that, oh no, it's unpredictable. So I need to be worried about it. Sometimes people choose an unorthodox argument, but that doesn't mean it's a good argument. Just because you didn't anticipate it doesn't mean that you should be worried about it. So the first thing is ask yourself, how much does it matter if even if they win that argument are they winning the debate so you got to think about the central thesis of the debate sometimes and you know if you win an argument it it doesn't matter you could just uh, what we in debate we call a strategic concession you just say you win on that argument but i'm winning on the debate here's okay. why so it's kind of like chess you're playing yes, a chess absolutely. game oh no I, I have chess analogies all throughout my <laughs> Yeah, it is very much like chess. Wow. I, yeah, I, I kind of consider debate to be this really interesting intersection between like chess theory and music theory. Because, you know, music theory doesn't have like a winner or a loser whatsoever, but chess does. And so debate kind of has both of those in it where it's like, does it sound good and is it pleasing? But also there's a strategic level to it. Are you tired of feeling anxious and nervous about public speaking? 
Look no further than Udly. Udly is an AI-powered speech coach to help you improve your public speaking. You can get private, real-time, and judgment-free feedback on your filler words, pacing, and more. What are you waiting for? Sign up at udly.ai and start your journey towards confident communication today. Is it possible to know definitively this person won? Sometimes, like, there is just overwhelming consensus. They just, like, even the person who's in the debate that lost will acknowledge that they lost. There's, that does happen sometimes. But when you have, but once you get into the highest levels of debate, the judgment becomes closer and closer, and there's a lot more split in the uh, opinion. Like, I was in the final round of the national tournament, and I lost really bad. <laughs> like, okay. but it, it wasn't unanimous. You know, I still had some people that voted for me, even though most people overwhelmingly voted for my opponent. So, like, it's not, yeah, it's not always that clear cut. It's not exactly mathematics. No, it's no, not like yeah. an NBA game where okay, I know the final score. Is it kind of closer to figure skating? Yes, I, yeah. I, and so when I do analogies with because we do speech and debate, so we have a bunch of different events. Sometimes people say, "Oh, this is just like track and field." I'm like, eh, "It's more like gymnastics." Okay, because you have to have judgment. You know what I mean? And they give you scores, and and it's based on a judge's opinion of how you're doing. Mm-hmm. Now, yeah. fascinating world. My next one is. One of the biggest issues, if I'm in a discussion with someone, is resorting to personal attacks. Instead of dealing uh, with the argument itself, I attack the other person's character. How do you prepare your students to not do that and to respond to that when it happens? So, it, it, unfortunately, it's trial and error sometimes. Um, and we're just like, okay, you that was a personal attack. I have found that that it actually doesn't happen all that often in the competitive debate environment. It's way more common in sort of a personal argument scenario. So what do you tell your friends then and your family members when they're discussing Uh, with you about that? Well, sometimes, sometimes I get upset and I just let them know. And I start, I, I, I stop the debate mode and I start getting into an interpersonal mode. And so we also teach interpersonal communication at my college. And I start really focusing on my feelings and how I feel when you say this or that. And it's, and I, I try to, and I go away from the issue now. It's like, all right, the issue is our relationship. That's more important than whether or not we should abolish the death penalty because nothing's actually going to happen at the end of our debate. What is going to happen is how our relationship, our interpersonal relationship is affected. So you really change the frame of the debate right now or the interaction is kind of like, listen, we got to refocus our energy on what's important. And winning a debate is rarely important. That's a really good point. I know for myself, I like winning. I'm very competitive. I grew up with two brothers. So even in my personal relationships, I want to win debates and discussions. But what what do I get at the end? Hurt feelings. Yeah. And people angry at me. Yeah. So I didn't win anything. I lost. Yeah. And even if you're right, it doesn't change anything about it. There's there's like when we're talking about policy debate, the policy that you think is good doesn't actually happen just because you won a debate. Very few people know that you even had the debate. The only person that knows is the person you're debating against. So make sure you stay focused on that. 
I like that. Really, really good advice. What role does body language play in a debate, the nonverbal cues? Well, in in normal conversation, it plays a huge role. The studies after study after study have uh, shown that a majority of what people pay attention to in communication is nonverbal. So facial expressions, tone of voice, posture, those things matter more. In competitive debate, uh, it actually the the verbal starts becoming more and more important because they take really uh, copious notes during the the round. And so they're not looking at the debater oftentimes. They're looking at their pad of paper that they're writing on and they're making sure that they get all the arguments down. Not only that, but debaters tend to speak a lot faster in a competitive debate than they do in conversation. So tone of voice becomes less important. A lot of a lot of debaters don't really care what they wear um, to the the tournaments, and so it's weird. It's a weird artificial environment in the competitive debate circuit. It it it, it makes it so that you you can focus more and more on your arguments, depending on which type you're doing, depending which type of debate. So, outside of the competitive environment, what advice would you give to people? To, when when it comes to paying attention to these nonverbal cues, one thing is is to to question your own judgments on on what you think. A lot of people really believe that they're good at interpreting nonverbal cues accurately. They think it's like, oh, that is nerves that's making the person stumble or stutter like that. When you know, it, maybe they have a stutter. Maybe they had a bad night's sleep. Uh, maybe they're just having a bad day. You know, and so people are actually really bad at correctly identifying when somebody is, uh, for instance, being deceptive. They, they think that, like, oh, I could tell by through by their eyes that they're lying to me. It's like studies show that's not really the case. To not believe our initial feelings about what the other person is trying to demonstrate with body yeah. language. Yeah, I would um I think the thing is to always assume the best out of people. So I like that. I, yeah, just even if you're wrong, like you can even think is like I don't think this person is a good person, but I'm going to assume that they are for the purposes of this interaction. Exactly. It's a, okay, it's a good faith argument until you prove to me that you're not right, acting right, in good right. faith. I think that's a better starting point than to be cynical. Right. Oh, people it, are just bad. People just are negative. It's like, whoa, what a way to go through life. Yeah, I mean, because if you're cynical and you're wrong, and like think about the inverse. If you are, you know, good faith, but you're wrong. I, I'd rather have good faith in people and then be wrong because it's it's really their fault. Um, but then if I'm cynical and I'm wrong, that's my fault. Yeah, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I like that. So kind of believe that people come with good intentions, right. which I believe is usually the case. Yeah, I people do too. Usually, and and I think what happens is sometimes people are sincerely wrong. Yeah. So they have good intentions and it still leads to negative consequences. And that happens all the time. Yeah. We think, oh yeah, we should go in this direction. This is a great policy. Let's do this. And then it leads to negative consequences. Mm -hmm. But our intentions were still good. Yes, absolutely. And so having having that perspective for other people, I think also makes it easier for you to admit it yourself when when you are guilty of it, and which is, I think, healthy. Otherwise, uh, one of the worst p 
people to lie to is yourself. You, you create this false, you know, understanding of the world around you, and you start going down a, a path that. I don't know. It concerns me if I was going down that path. I think so. Self-awareness is key. I spend 20 minutes in the steam room every day. And oh. that's my time to really think and reflect on my day, on my thoughts. Yeah, I could, I, could I recommend it. Yeah, I can imagine that, that environment. It seems like a really great place to do that. Yeah, you're taking deep breath in and it, it's mm-hmm. meditative, it's therapeutic. And it forces me to think about myself and, and my behaviors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. because the rest of the day we're all on our phones and we're just running around right we right. don't really take that time to reflect in the evenings we're watching netflix so <laughs> kind of give yourself 15 20 minutes to reflect yeah what yeah. happened today what do i want to do differently how are my behaviors affecting the people around me asking yourself these questions can lead mm-hmm. to better actions <laughs> totally, totally probably more empathy yeah yeah. More empathy, extending like, grace to yeah. people. Mm-hmm. I do like the, the process of debate when, when people enter it in good faith, because um, that, that also creates a similar thing. It's like when both people know it's like, all right, I'm taking this position, you're taking that position, and let's just see where it ends up, rather than I'm on this team, you're on that team, and I'm going to do whatever I can to win. Regardless of yeah. whether I'm speaking truth or not. Right. Which oftentimes is the political, what happens in politics is you can, what was that Republican senator? He just lied about everything. Oh, right, right, right. What's his name? I can't remember his name. uh, And he he went up, he he made it all the way to Congress, I think. And I'm like, how did these people make it? And he admitted. And then he even was claiming that he's Jewish. He's not Jew, but he's Jewish. Yeah. I'm like, oh, what? right. Oh, oh, right. George Santos. Uh, yeah. That guy. Like, yeah. Oh, he, man. It's pretty yeah. bad. You know, like the the institutions that he went to and the grades that he got and the, the stuff that yeah. he was a part of. Yeah, it's, it's pretty but amazing. somehow these people can make it to the top and rise to the top. And so those people do exist. But I think in general, people do come with good intentions, with good faith and Mm-hmm. at least at face value start from there it's like oh yeah you have good intentions you're not an evil person who wants to see my demise <laughs> let's right. start there and then right. let's see what happens throughout the conversation <laughs> a lot of people start in they, they can't help but be cynical and that's fine so my advice isn't that i'm, I'm you know trying to look at the world through rose-colored glasses it's it's much more deliberate and a, a conscious decision is like, I'm going to decide that this person means well, even though something in my gut tells me that they don't, I'm going to, I'm going to put that aside until I get some real proof that that's the case. Yeah, I like that. I think that's, that's more honest and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, no, you've given me a lot to think about. Do okay. you have any resources? that you would recommend to people who want to learn more about debate and discussion? Well, I have a weekly broadcast myself on my YouTube channel, Debate Sensei, which is, uh, we just talk about competitive debate every week. I'd recommend uh, definitely people doing that. But there's also participating in this themselves. Uh, I have a friend who has the Professional Speech and Debate Association where you can just sign up for tournaments and debate and and 
people love to have it, it, it's 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 an amazing environment because anybody who puts themselves out there like that is open-minded enough to enter into a, a, a scenario that might make them uncomfortable and they find that they're in good company because everyone else also decided to you know participate for for the same reason so i would uh, Definitely check out prosda.com, Professional Speech and Debate Association. Um, it, it, those are those are great. No, thank you. I will leave all of those links in the show notes. Any final words? Well, going back to that article from Sean Blanda about uh, the other side is not dumb. That one of the pieces of advice that I love giving people is try, interrogate the things that you believe, and then. Pick an issue and try to prove yourself wrong. You don't need anybody else to do this. You can debate with yourself, but try to find evidence to the contrary, and you might be surprised. Not that you would change your mind, but you might actually be more convinced because even in the face of the best opposing argument, you still conclude that on your side. And so it makes you feel actually more comfortable about your conclusions when you question them. I like that. So instead of creating a straw man out of the opposing side to create the steel man, what yes. is the best argument on that side for this the issue? Yes. The best argument. Because if you can still conclude that you disagree with that, even in the face of the best argument, then you should feel comfortable. Thank you so much for your knowledge, for your time. And I look forward to doing this again. Excellent. Me too. We're constantly in dialogue and discussion with the people around us. Wouldn't it be better if we learned how to communicate our ideas in an effective and respectful way? I created a course called Speaking Mastery that teaches just that. You can click on the link in the show notes for more information. Question for you. How effective are you at communicating your opinions to the people around you? If you enjoyed this episode, share my podcast with one of your friends today. If you want to support the podcast, consider leaving a tip. That's it for this episode. Also... Bis nächstes Mal.